Man, I do not ever get tired of that intro music. It is so good. Um, so anyways, uh, thanks for tuning in. Today we have a really special episode. If you're new here, uh, welcome to the Poor Proles Almanac. My name is Andy. We are a podcast that also occasionally does Twitch stuff that's uh, based around skill sharing. So today is a really special one because it's something that I think is uh, often discussed, but not often actually followed through with in terms of skills and skill building. And uh, I myself am in that that group of people that should be doing more of this stuff, and I just don't. And that's around Stop the Bleed. So today we have a special guest, Carter, a paramedic who um, has a lot of experience around Stop the Bleed. So he is going to help us get some basic fundamentals, um, skills that we should all have. So hopefully you guys got some time to tune in for the whole thing, because I think this one's going to really be worth it. So I'm going to bring Carter on right now. How you doing? Howdy. How you doing? Uh, pretty good. Very excited to be here. Long time listener. First time caller. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's always fun. Uh, it's always different on the other side, right? Yeah, this is this is wild. Uh, very, very excited, though. Um, and yeah, I love talking Stop the Bleed and all of that good stuff. So, yeah. Awesome. So I am like... My skills are pretty bad. I will be blunt. Um, they should be a lot better in this area. It's not something I'm, I'm not a good person around. Like, I'm not, I'm not bad around blood, but I'm not like great around it either. So like, it's definitely something that I've been like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And then I, you know, got like basically very little uh, other than like some basic stitching. That's about as far as I've gone. So I, I don't have the skills I probably should have. So having us do this is really good for me personally to be like, okay, you're going to learn this thing and you're not going to have an excuse not to do it. Uh, so first off, thank you for that. And um, for, I guess I'll ask, could you talk a little bit about your background, like in the, in this industry or field? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started off as a um, conflict journalist covering mainly domestic stuff in the U S and uh, some stuff internationally. And essentially, I got really into like media safety, I took a couple of courses on like um, combat, sort of like combat, combat camera stuff, like being a journalist in a war zone to be able to patch myself or any other journalists or, you know, folks up that are around me. Um, and that sort of got me really interested in emergency medicine. And so then um, over the pandemic, I went to, uh, or the course of the pandemic so far, I guess we're still in it. Uh, I went to EMT and paramedic school. I've gotten some some more advanced training in uh, you know trauma care, uh, things of that sort. And uh, yeah, that's sort of how I got into it and where I'm at currently. I'm a Stop the Bleed instructor, uh, which this isn't like a um, official Stop the Bleed class, but we're definitely going over <clears throat> everything I would with um with students. So awesome! Yeah, great. Yeah, so I'm excited to learn more, and I'm sure. Uh, you know, just based on the amount of uh, feedback from people after, um, you know, some of the incidences in the last couple, let's say the m last month, uh, I think it became really evident to a lot of people that this is something we need to do more of. And uh, we need to make it as accessible as possible. Um, so I'm really happy to, um, to have this and to learn a bunch. So I guess I will hand it off to you. And then I'll just, I guess, ask questions as we go along if I have any questions. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. 
Yeah, and for folks that are watching, uh, please don't hesitate to jump in the chats if you have questions or thoughts or anything like that, because uh, that's what it's there for. And there's a bunch of you on, so I definitely would uh, be happy to see folks chime in. So, all right, I'm handing it off to you. Cool. All right. That's not you. So, oh. There we go. Hi. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Absolutely. Um, anyone who has any questions, please uh, feel free to ask them. There's no such thing as a dumb question, especially when it comes to like, like life-saving skills like this. So any questions, please chime away. I can <clears throat> get a little bit in the weeds at times. Um, so I'll try to avoid that. Um, my wife will be coming in at one point um, to help me sort of like show and demonstrate how you actually use tourniquets, how you use compression bandages and, and things of that ilk. So that'll be fun later. Uh, yeah, any questions, please let me know. Um, like Andy was saying, these skills are definitely needed uh, and are an excellent resource, whether you're, you know, cutting a piece of four by four on the farm and the, the saw slips, you know, or the chainsaw jumps, or if you're in a um, <clears throat> developing situation like we're seeing uh, over in Ukraine right now, you know, uh, very important to know how to stop, stop the bleed. Uh, so we're going to get started. Uh, so there's three major ways to stop a bleed, um, but they all sort of revolve around this one core concept. And I talk with my hands a lot, so I'm probably going to move my camera here. Um, so those core concepts, it all boils down to direct pressure. So the best way to stop a bleed, any bleed, is direct pressure. And when I say direct pressure, um, you see in movies a lot, somebody will get a big towel or they'll get a, a big you know hoodie or t-shirt and they'll just sort of generally put it like this on a wound which you know that's okay you know um but it's not really going to do much so direct pressure like you need sort of co to concentrate that maybe you know bind up that towel or, or, or that t-shirt and really press it on the wound um and that's the best way to stop bleeding is, is direct pressure so tourniquets compression bandages and um, wound packing, which we're not going to get too in the weeds on. We'll sort of go over the basics of it. Um, that all sort of revolves around um, direct pressure, sort of clenching off uh, those capillaries, arteries, veins, all of that good stuff to keep, um, to keep you from bleeding out. Uh, and some of this stuff, I guess, sort of a content warning. I am going to discuss stuff that is, you know, obviously people being injured or, or hurt and you know i'm not going to show anything graphic but we're going to talk about graphic stuff so there's a sort of a content warning there um right out the gate and so with that let's talk about one of my favorite pieces of equipment uh the tourniquet which is this bad boy right here so essentially i'll go over um indications why you would use it when you would use it um, how to have it set up in your kit, you know, because I'm huge on having your, your IFAC, your kit squared away. James, I see you got yours, uh, you know, squared away. Uh, that's awesome. So, like, knowing how to have it laid out. And then uh, we'll give a demonstration on, on how to use it, you know, how you actually use it both on yourself and on someone else. Um, so before we get into all that, there's really two types of bleeds I want to go over. Uh, you have your venous bleed and your arterial bleed. So the key differences are a venous bleed is going to be darker blood because uh, it's uh, blood that's deoxygenated, it's under less pressure, and it's blood that's going back to the heart. 
And so blood from your veins is going to tend to bleed a little bit more slowly. It's going to be darker in color, and you get more of a, a characteristic ooze rather than a spurt. Um, so it's sort of like cutting open a jelly donut versus a fire hose. Um, you can still bleed out from a venous bleed, um, so direct pressure is definitely, definitely needed. Uh, but it's not going to kill you as fast as, say, an arterial bleed, which is the next one we're talking about. So your arterial bleed, that's your bleed where you're having blood that's going out from the heart into the rest of your body. And so you have these massive vessels that have their own sort of, uh, I guess, kind of like a muscular system that are pumping out really hard, really fast. Um, and they're, they're large, right? So they have a lot of blood under a lot of pressure, and it's just continually pumping out. And so if you cut open or have a limb blown off or something, you know, there, there's a, a cut in the garden hose, essentially. That blood's going to spurt out. It's going to kind of literally spurt out um, or bleed out very, very fast. Uh, it's going to be bright red more often than not. And uh, it's going to kill you or, or the metaphorical you, someone else, very, very quickly. Um, if you cut your femoral artery, I think you have less than a minute. Uh, and that's really the big one that we always talk about is the femoral artery, which is um, sort of in your, your upper thigh area. And so with that, the best way to stop those bleeds on an extremity is going to be your tourniquet. So I have here, uh, and Andy, am I going too fast? Nope, you're going great. Awesome. Um, and again, any questions, please uh, toss them in the chat. So what I have here is a combat action tourniquet. So these have a few key components. Let me take this apart real quick here. So you have your buckle. You have your strap. So that goes in there. And then up here, you have your windlass. This is what you crank down once your tourniquet's on nice and tight. And that's going to go into a clip here. And then I don't... I've never heard a proper name for this. I just call it like the time strap or the, the band. This piece of Velcro here, then once everything's tied down, cinched, hunky-dory, is going to go across here to keep any extra of your band and keep your windlass in place and squared away. And it says time on there for a very important reason. That's because um, time is muscle, essentially. And when you cut off all blood flow to an extremity, you're sort of on a ticking time clock. Now, it's not as bad as people said in the 80s and 90s, where it's like, if you put a tourniquet on, that person's going to lose their limb. Uh, that's not the case anymore. There have been some cases uh, that I've heard of from other you know, trauma uh, providers, trauma care providers, where they did a study, I want to say it was 2008, 2006, uh, casually in Afghanistan, and an uh, American soldier uh, essentially had a tourniquet on from time of injury all the way to the hospital in Germany, and they were able to save the limb, or at least the vast majority of it, even with the tourniquet on. So that's why, you know, we have the time there, so we know how long the tourniquet's been on, so we know if we need to leave it in place, and, you know, or sorry, if the trauma team at the hospital or wherever knows they need to leave it in place, uh, how long it's been on, if the limb's salvageable, things of that, that, that sort. Um, usually we say about three to four hours sort of the window for tourniquets now. Um, that's why you put the time there. And if you don't have uh, a marker or sharpie or something to write time, uh, at the very least, what you can do 
is <clears throat> a little gruesome, but a little drop of blood on your gloved hand because we always wear gloves, right? Keeping things safe. A little drop of blood, put a T, like some sort of horrific Ash Wednesday on their, their forehead. Um, so that way, any other uh, medical personnel are going to know that there's a tourniquet placed somewhere on the patient if it's not immediately obvious where it is. Um, and so with that, let's talk about... So we've talked about the parts of the tourniquet. Let's talk about layout. Layout. Yeah, James, obviously we're not... You don't take it off, but uh, the trauma surgeon in the hospital, the care team that's in the hospital, um, you know, will eventually be removing it and things of like that sort. And it's important to know how long it's it's been on um so you're absolutely right <laughs> it's staying on don't don't ever take it off um if the bleeding stops you know that's good tourniquet's doing its job leave it on um and so let's talk about layout so the scenario that i always give folks always give students and that was given to me because i didn't know this um when i first started getting into all this is that your tourniquet's going to come pretty tightly wound, tightly packed in a like cellophane uh, package. And we're going to talk about how tight the tourniquet needs to be in just a second. Um, so we're absolutely going to get to that. Uh, but it's going to come like this. I highly recommend taking out that cellophane because blood is really slippery and really gross. And so if you have your gloved hands, or even if you don't have gloves on and you're trying to tear through a really tightly, you know, airtight cellophane package, you're not going to have a good time and you're going to be losing blood or they're going to be losing blood. And uh, every second, every second counts, especially if you're putting on a tourniquet. So what I always tell folks is we have it out all the way, all components are undone. And you'll see that I put this time band over itself on the clip there, so it's out of the way of the uh, the windlass, out of the way of the clip and everything, you know, so there's no risk of it getting caught until we need it to catch. So then you're gonna take your tourniquet, uh, smooth side facing uh, towards the inside, and you're gonna feed this end through your buckle. And so once you have it through, you have a loop made, you're gonna go up to the top here, with this bit, put just a little fold in there so it gives you a little bit extra something to grab onto. And then you're gonna fold part of the tourniquet onto itself like that. Now, we really don't want much of the Velcro touching each other uh, because that's just more of a hassle to get undone. We want rapid application of the tourniquet. So what you're gonna do is you have smooth side and smooth side. You're gonna fold that down on top of there. So you see we folded this down so it's on Velcro, and your remaining Velcro on this side, I'm gonna fold over that. So only a little bit of Velcro is touching. It's very neat. Everything is out where we need it to be. And what I do is for uh, my kit, my IFAC, I leave a turn kit on the outside of it with just the hair tie around it. So that way if I really need to, I can just rip it off, rip it out of the hair tie. Um, strong rubber bands work as well. Obviously, don't use one that's been in the junk drawer for 20 years because it's just going to break on you. Um, but, you know, make sure your stuff's secure but accessible. And that's sort of how I keep that. And the reason I do that is so then let's say if my arm is injured, I can open it up like this. I have it. Put my arm through our loop that's already made. 
it goes up here and I can then tighten it down like that one-handed access my windlass which is very tight and then throw any extra of this band over top and throw that over top so that was one-handed application um, essentially just flick of the wrist up the arm tighten and crank I'll talk about tightness in a second, but I also want to talk about placement. So, if you're ever in a situation where you need to place a tourniquet, odds are it's a pretty bad situation that, um, that you're in. And so, there's two schools of placement. There's a few inches above the wound, essentially length of your hand above the wound. Let's say I got injured here, I'd put it up here somewhere. And there's the, the high and tight. Uh, school of thought. So I'd say if you're in a situation where you need to put on a tourniquet, it's a pretty bad situation. Um, I'd go high and tight. You know, we're really worried about getting this on as quick as possible, getting it cinched down and getting it squared away as quick and efficiently as possible. And sort of, you know, if I'm down here and I'm putting it on, you know, is it still going to stop the bleeding? Yes. But for the sake of making sure that bleeding is going to be, you know, cut off and this is on quickly, especially if you're in a situation like they're having in the Ukraine where it's sort of a dynamic situation, a lot of things are happening at once, uh, or even on the farm and you're, you know, all alone out in the lumber yard or wherever, getting this on and getting it up here and then just, you know, hitting it down, that's going to be your best bet. And so, and slow-mo, essentially, I get my tourniquet undone, I'm grabbing it, I have my loop, this is going up the arm, high and tight, high as I can go, sort of into the armpit, and I want my windlass to be facing out away from my armpit, because if it's in here, and I'm trying to, sorry, trying to turn, um, I'm getting caught in the armpit, you know, I'm getting caught under the arm, and that's no good. So sort of out, little area where you're going to be able to get it all nice and secure. Cranking it down, all that good stuff. But before you crank your windlass down, you need to tighten it, which I did not do. So make sure you tighten it. So when you tighten it, essentially, this is the most important part of the tourniquet. People think the windlass is, but this is. You need to crank this strap down as tight as humanly possible. And I really can't stress that enough. This needs to be tight as possible because it's the same concept with ratchet straps on your, you know, if you're tying something down. Um, let's say, you know, you sort of do this, your ratchet strap kind of loose, and then you're trying to ratchet down. It's going to stay loose. There's going to be a lot of slack, and you're going to lose that hay you just paid $6 for, uh, because hay prices are ridiculous right now. Um, I promise I won't make so many farm references, but it's, it's Port Pearl's Almanac, and I farm too, so it's fun time. I approve of it. It's fine. Andy approves of it, chat, so we're all good. It's over. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this has been great. Um, so when you say hi, um, could you clarify a little bit of what that means? Does that mean like at the beginning of the extremity? Yeah, so well, yeah, so high and tight. Um, yeah, high means you're going up here on me too, chat, me too. 
So you're going up here as high as you can on the extremity. So if I'm wounded down here, you know, uh, or even if I'm wounded here, I'm still going high up on the extremity, right? Where the extremity starts, like you were talking about. Cranking that down to the point where it hurts, because none of this is going to feel good for, for your patient, for lack of a better term, they're your patient, or it's you. And it's going to suck, and it's going to really hurt, but it's going to save their life, and that's the important thing. Um, but yeah, high means highest possible on the extremity. Obviously not in the, you know, shoulder up here. You're not going up here, but, you know, on the extremity is as high as possible. Um, like I was saying, tight as possible on here. You really should only need, ow, ow, one or two turns on the tourniquet to get that to cut off circulation. And so people were asking, how tight do we do it? Tight as humanly possible. And the two metrics you're looking to know that your tourniquet is tight enough is one down here, you know, or below the extremity. You know, you can go under the knee, or if you're really experiencing it with the pulses, check the foot, see if they have a pulse. And if they have a pulse in that extremity, tourniquet's not on tight enough, tighten that down more. Or you may need, if they're a larger person, such as myself, a second tourniquet. Um, because the larger the extremity, the more pressure you need, and sometimes one tourniquet just won't cut it. So that's the one metric. If you know where to find pulses and you're good at it, more power to you. More obvious, though, has the bleeding stopped? Has the bleeding, like your arterial bleed or your, your really bad veins, has it completely stopped? And if it has, congrats, your tourniquet's tight enough. If not, needs to be on... You know, a lot tighter um, using the, the methods we talked about. Um, one more thing about tourniquets before anybody has any questions is never put it on a joint. So never put a tourniquet on a wrist, on a hand, on an elbow, on a knee, on an ankle. They're not, they, they won't work there. One, because, you know, it, it moves, right? This rotates, so it um, might not stay on there properly. And also there's, there's really not enough to really grab there. And it's at a weird angle, so you're not going to get the tightness you need to cut off circulation. Um, should go without saying, but I had a student one time ask me, no, you cannot put a tourniquet on someone's neck. They will die. Yeah. <laughs> um, great question. Uh, Matthew, if, if you need to put on more than one, how does that affect placement? Let me grab another tourniquet and I'll show you. So this is another one of my turning, training tourniquets. Um, so essentially what you're going to do is you have your tourniquet up here. And you're just going to go right below that one. Try and keep them in line if possible. You know, Go right below that one close as you can. Tighten down again. Crank this again, and you know, once that's done and done, you know, those are in. Mark the time of each. Can you all see that? So, about as close as possible as you can to the, the other one that you had already placed. Uh, never put a tourniquet below the injury, that's not going to do anything. Um, you need to go above the injury because uh, we're trying to stop blood from flowing to the injury. If you put a tourniquet below, blood's still going to flow to the injury, and it's going to be bad news bears um i have one more point on tourniquets if we're good on time i know i talk a yeah. lot about them but it's really the most important 
piece of kit we have uh knockoffs so many knockoffs out there it's terrible i hate them and in the area where i work um you know when we do certain trainings uh involving schools or involving you know like mass casualty situations uh we work with with certain members of law enforcement and so we'll look at the members of law enforcement and we'll check their uh uh, their their kit, their their plate carrier, whatnot, and I'll look at their tourniquets. We'll be like, "Hey, let me see that real quick." And I'll look at it, and it's a knockoff, so we take it from them. Um, obviously, you know, because you know, we need to make sure everyone has tourniquets. We you know, give them one of the ones we have that are actually a sort of hashtag license tourniquet. But uh, yeah, I'm going to talk about that real quick. Uh, different types of tourniquets. Can I ask real quick? Um, yeah, absolutely. So obviously you've got the knockoff issues. Is there an issue with the age of a tourniquet? I haven't found one, and I really don't remember seeing expiration dates. Let me check this one real quick. Combat out tourniquet. That's something I've really never really thought about. Um, I mean, practice due diligence. I would sort of treat them like a plate carrier, like plates. You know, they have an expiration date um to where their uh sort of their peak effectiveness and after that goes down um i'd say if you've had a tourniquet on your kit for like three or four years um and it's been exposed to the elements it's been in hot cold sunlight you know all that fun funky stuff replace it <laughs> excuse me because it's a tool and tools can get worn down um yeah so uh that reminds me uh, this is a practice tourniquet. This is the same thing, just this one's bright orange. Um, there's not a single tourniquet in my kit that I've ever used. If you're going to have a practice tourniquet, which I strongly recommend you get one, uh, don't use it for field application because you're windless here. You can see this one's pretty stretched out already, looking pretty, pretty well used. Um, and there's no guarantee on effectiveness after that point. Once you've really tightened it down all the way, uh, there's no guarantee that's going to tighten um, down all the way again or be reliable again. So, yeah. yeah. And they're not they're not super expensive. I mean, they're not, like, wicked cheap, but it's not like... If you can afford all the other things, like, you know, the firearms that you're being concerned about, then you can afford a, you can afford a tourniquet. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I um, I sort of preach a gospel of you really should never have to improvise a tourniquet. You should always have one. Um, there are studies that show that some improvised tourniquets are more effective than others, but really your best bet is just having a tourniquet on hand. Um, so tourniquets, cat tourniquets, 30 bucks. Um, I know that's steep for some of us, especially... You know, if you're paid bi-weekly and it's towards the middle of that and you're low on funds, I completely understand that. I find myself there often. But really, I can't stress enough how important it is to buy um, sort of like brand name, right? Brand name medical supplies, tourniquets, compression bandages, gauze, uh, well, like combat gauze, pressure gauze, and things of that ilk. Because um, at this point, it's your life or it's someone else's life. These products are given rigorous testing. I'm not sponsoring anything. It's just part of the course I teach. We know that these work. If you have a knockoff such as this, that's 10 bucks on Amazon. 
I mean, there's no guarantee it's going to work. I know you can't see because it's, um, you know, or you can't feel it, but the plastic here is so much more durable than the plastic here. Like, this is very cheap knockoff, very thin. You know, I could break this with my hands right now if I wanted to with very little pressure. Um, yeah. Don't buy knockoffs. Don't buy anything off Amazon. Not that we want to shop there anyway. Um, North American Rescue, Rescue Essentials, um, Gorilla Tacticals, they all have full um, IFACs, individual first aid kits that have tourniquets. Or if you want to buy tourniquets separately. Um, I always recommend the CAT, Combat Action, Combat Application Tourniquet, um, tried and true. There's the soft tee that comes with um, a metal clip and a sort of a ratchet instead of just this style. Um, I wouldn't recommend anyone that's just an elastic band just because they're not as effective. You'd really want to have sort of that mechanical, you can crank it down. Um, and that's about all I have to say about tourniquets. I know, Adam, you asked if you don't have access to a leg legit tourniquet, what's the best way to improvise one? <sighs> I mean, you can improvise them, but again, really, you should you should have a tourniquet. Um, a belt with a stick put through it where you're cranking it down. Um, a kerchief, or, or like really big, you know, like Boy Scout kerchief, handkerchief, that... Uh, you know, you put a stick in, you crank it down, then tie that down. Those can work, but in the time it takes you to find a stick or object to do it, get your belt off, get the belt around, or get that kerchief, get it around, get it tied down and everything. The person's losing a lot of blood, and really, you could have saved all that trouble. Not you specifically, Adam. I'm sure you're, you're great and you already have a, a tourniquet. But, um, you know, you could have just had one of these and got it on in, in like, 10 seconds or less. So yeah um that's more or less my sermon on tourniquets uh, uh could you speak to i don't know if you saw the question about um i know you'd mentioned like putting some blood on someone's forehead so that they knew there was a tourniquet there if you didn't have a pen uh but is um is there anything else like once the bleeding is managed should you, i mean it sounds like when it's tightened it should be theoretically managed just basically at that point um but if not, is it important to measure the difference between when you started apl applying the tourniquet versus when the bleeding stopped itself? Uh, like measuring like um, how many cranks it took or like what um, measuring what exactly? Yeah, so uh, I'm trying to phrase the question. Where was uh, the that it's was big. it the sorry I joined late? Yeah. Yeah, it was taught to immediately the right time when the turn goes applied on the person's forehead and sharp ones. Yeah, that is important. So yeah, you write down the time, um, making sure it wasn't uh, that it's not on too too long, because um, obviously then you're looking at um, cell death um, and sort of toxic buildup in the muscles and things in the extremity uh, below the tourniquet that can result in someone uh, losing the limb. Uh, but like I said, three to four hours is kind of the window we're looking at. Um, modern day obviously there's cases when it can be on longer but yeah tourniquet management actually that's a really good point andy um is once it's on obviously you know you need to move the patient or they need to get to a safer area themselves or you need to get to a safer area so you always want to reassess and make sure that it's on properly um so if it's all right i'll have my wife come in for a moment and i'll show you how to put one on on another person 
um, cause I kind of already showed how to put one on, on our, uh, on your own, if that's okay with sure. you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. All right. I'll text her cause she's wrangling puppies right now. We just got two uh, Texas healers for the farm and Ooh. they're, uh, they're crazy. Yeah. Puppies tend to be. Uh. Yeah. Um, while she's making her way up, does anyone have any other questions about uh, tourniquets or tourniquet application, things of that ilk? And while people are thinking about their questions, I will uh, plug what's at the bottom of the screen, which is if you're enjoying and appreciating this information, shoot a couple bucks over to our Venmo and we'll get it over to Carter uh, for his time and helping us all be more prepared for what may or may not happen and hopefully doesn't happen. But if it does, we will be more prepared and capable. Uh, so if you want to throw a couple bucks, hit us up on Venmo poor Pearl's almanac and uh, we'll get it over to Carter. And I really appreciate that folks. Um, and the support and for everyone being here. I mean, the fact that you're here alone uh, just shows your dedication to being able to be more self-sufficient and help out your fellow uh, compatriots and things of that sort. Uh, read the abdominal question in our station, never put turn. Yeah, never put a tourniquet on the abdomen. Tourniquets are strictly for extremity only. Um, only on the extremities. Never on the neck, head, abdomen, chest, none of that. Extremities only, arms and legs. Um, and with that, this is Sarah. Hello. Hi. And hi. Oh, that's our dog. The puppies came too. Yep. He has opinions. Uh, he's a big fan of the show too. Um, yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, so we'll show how to put a tourniquet on another person. I'm just going to demonstrate arms, legs. It's the same concept. It's just, uh, you know, on a leg. Um, yeah. Again, never put on a knee or an ankle. But so let's say that Sarah's injured in her arm. Uh, there was a piece of shrapnel that nicked an artery or a gunshot wound like we saw with some of the, um, the stuff that happened over the past couple of years with, with various demonstrations, uprisings, and, and riots. Uh, so the injury's here, middle of the arm, spurting blood. The first thing that I want to do is get direct pressure on that in the form of a gloved hand. Obviously, gloves aren't always going to be available, but if you can wear gloves, please try to, um, because blood's really gross. So, direct pressure. If I have it available to me, grab my tourniquet, have a compatriot grab my tourniquet, or worst case scenario, um, let go for a second and get your kit. Um, obviously, this is undone, so I'll redo it. Um, but, you know, let's say because this is where I keep my tourniquet, I keep mine here on my kit. So I have direct pressure here. I get my tourniquet out. I know it's needed because there's blood spurting everywhere. We're in a safe area. We're not taking any fire. We're not, you know, there's not bombs dropping or, or bottles being thrown. And if there are, we need to move to a safe location or as safe as we can because there's no point in getting injured as well because then you're another casualty and you can't render care to someone. So your safety and your patient's safety has to be really important, uh, critical actually, before you can render any care. So let's say we're not dealing with any of that fun, funky stuff. I have direct pressure here on the wound and I have my tourniquet. 
So tourniquet's open. I have my, you know, it's already looped. I'm going to put this up on the wound. I'm going to let go. I'm going to get up to here, sort of the armpit. I'm going to crank this down. I apologize in advance. Crank that down best I can. This is going to get wrapped around after I'm done putting the windlass tight. So let's say, you know, it takes two turns. I'm going to do one. All right. So we have this turned down. It's nice and tight. I look down here, right? Bleeding stopped. No longer bleeding. If you're trained to, you know where you're looking. Check for a pulse. No pulse. This is wrapped tight enough. This is going to go over top your windlass here, over top our Velcro patch here on our clip. Time bands going over top of it. I'm writing my time. I have my Sharpie or a little bit of blood. I have a T and I have the time. So that's all set with that. No other injuries to worry about at this time. We just got that managed. And so we're going to move to an even safer location, get more advanced help and we're going to monitor this. So how we monitor this is, you know, we make sure the, the windlass hasn't come loose. We make sure that this is still really tight. We make sure we're not having any bleeding. We check for a pulse scan, no pulse, all that good stuff. I'm going to loosen this so I don't have to sleep on the couch tonight. And that's how you put it on uh, another person. And essentially, as you, everybody saw with me, it's just the reverse or similar with you on your own. goes up on the arm cranking around, tighten, and all that good stuff. Um, one last point, and I promise it's the last one on tourniquet use, is you see in movies, especially war movies, they go in, they dive on their buddy, they stick their knee in the groin or in the arm, like armpit shoulder area. Uh, please don't do that. That's terrible for your patient. Um, you have a lot of big vessels, both veins and arteries, that run through here and here. Um, and if you grind the weight of your human body in, via your knee into that area, not only can you cause injury, but if they have other injuries you can't tell, like internal bleeding or broken bones, that's going to grind it and make it a million times worse for them and make their injuries worse and lower their chances of survival. So please don't drop a knee, as it's called. Um, just put direct pressure on the wound area. If you have another person, have them put direct pressure while you get that tourniquet ready. Uh, tourniquet shorty be ready while you get the tourniquet out so that's tourniquets thanks honey you're welcome thanks for coming on the show <laughs> <laughs> thank you this that was great um so i've got a question for you um you brought yeah. up the idea that like the amazon ones are cheap and whatever would it make sense to buy one as like a training one yeah i see some people do that um because you don't care if it gets destroyed anyway it's like 10 bucks who cares yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I'd i say, yeah, you, you could buy one online, cheap, 10 bucks, train with it. Just know that the legit one that you have in your kit is going to feel a little bit different. I think somebody mentioned that, you know, these are a bit thicker, a little bit more sturdy material, but the core concepts are the same. Um, I train with them. You know, when I do a class, I give them some cheap tourniquets to try out. Um, just as long as you know that, A, once the tourniquet's used for training, you can't use it on a person. And B, uh, that tourniquet should not be used on a person because it's a you know cheap knockoff. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, and uh, someone asked about elevating the limb. 
Uh, so that doesn't really work uh, as well as it should. Um, if you have just like a really superficial cut on on your arm and you're just putting a piece of gauze on there, then you know that stops the bleeding and you just have them hold their arm up a little bit, that's fine. Uh, but if a major vessel is really bleeding profusely, you can have your arm raised all the way up in the air and it's really not gonna not gonna do what you need it to do. Um, how to fold the tourniquet again? Yes, absolutely will in a second. Uh, when should we apply tourniquets? So that's a really good question. That's sort of up to your judgment. Um, I'd say if you see someone in a big old pool of blood or you see blood splurt, spurting out of their, um, their leg, their arm, anything of that sort, just go straight for the tourniquet. Um, we had a patient where I work a little while ago where they put on, I want to say, four or five gauze pads and six gauze wraps and it still bled through and then they went for the tourniquet and that's no fault of their own it was working for you know at the time but then it still ended up bleeding through um because there ended up being some arterial involvement so they didn't do anything wrong but they could have gone for the tourniquet first um so i'm i'm a big proponent of tourniquet first uh, ask questions later <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um i think there's a lot of like so, uh, something you mentioned earlier is that like there is a longer window to save the the limb uh when you use a tourniquet than i think people think and i i think a lot of folks their first thought is i don't want to lose this limb so they're like maybe i can just like pat it until it'll stop it but you know the, the tourniquet will definitely do the job so um th there's there should be less hesitancy in that sense yeah, absolutely. And um, and part of it's education. You know, people still think, you know, from the old 80s, 90s, or they see movies where they put that tourniquet on, that uh, that arm or leg is going to be gone. Um, and that's just not the case anymore. So, again, everyone who's coming to the stream tonight, thank you for being here and for, you know, learning. Compartment syndrome is better than death anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Um, yeah. Denial is a thing, though, unfortunately, for a lot of folks. Uh, tourniquets are not used in internal bleeding. There is nothing that you can do for someone who has internal bleeding. There's very little that I can do as a paramedic for internal bleeding. I can give a couple little medications and, you know, get them to the hospital and do all my fun, you know, medic stuff. But really the only cure for internal bleeding and really any of these traumas we're talking about um, in any long-term sense is, is surgery. You know, trauma is cured by surgery and, uh, evidence-based medicine, which is in tourniquet application in part. Um, with that, if everyone's good on tourniquets, Andy, we could talk uh, compression bandages if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I don't want to take up too much of the stream or... Uh, We're but... here as long as you need us or you you have stuff for us. All right. Fair enough. Um, so if y'all are still good, we'll talk on uh, compression bandages. If everyone's good, chat. Yep. Cool. All right. No objections. All right. I'm going to stop stalling. <laughs> uh, yeah, James, scoop and run. So, yeah, definitely if you're in a, a, like I said, sort of those developing situations, which is my PC fun way of saying getting shot at and bombed and, you know, tear gassed, uh, you need to get out of there because you can't do anything for anyone um, if you yourself are hurt, injured, or incapacitated. So you got to boot, scoot, and boogie. 
Um, if you can run and put a tourniquet on someone at the same time, that's awesome. But really just get out of that bad situation and, you know, then render care. Um, obviously, if somebody's legs blown off, you can only do so much, you know. Um, excuse me. But uh, please make sure that you don't yourself die or get seriously injured. Um, trying to, you know, essentially get in and, and grab someone. You know, um, as, as hard as that is to say, your safety is, is number one, you know, that's why it's an individual first aid kit. Like this first aid kit that you keep on you is for you. So someone can render care to you. Um, you're, you're not, um, or at least most of you, I assume are not, you know, medics going out into, you know, scoop someone up, but yeah, that was a tangent, but no, it, you know, it, it never occurred to me that that was, that makes a lot of sense that it's an individual first aid kit and we always think of using it because someone gets hurt not because it's for somebody who can help us when we are hurt yeah yeah the first aid kit that you keep on you is for you now if you want to keep extra goodies and the rest of your kit that is perfectly good cool and hip uh as you should but the ifac is for you that is so someone like me or another one uh person who's trained in stop lead like everyone here is in a safe situation and can render care to you. So they open that up and they apply your first aid kit to yourself. Uh, Lane obviously knows some like EMT stuff with the, the body substance isolation. That's wearing your gloves and, and you're scene safe. Um, yeah, so that's scene safety. You can't take care of somebody if you yourself are shot. So don't get in a situation where you're going to get shot if you're trying to help take care of folks. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Don't need more bodies. Yep. Uh, all right. So compression bandages. If everyone's good. I think we're good. All right. Also, I just realized you and I are both wearing very similar flannels. That's awesome. It's that time of year. It's flannel season. Perfect. Like every season except July and August, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, basically. Yeah. I, I still can't do the short sleeve flannel. Can't do it. Doesn't feel right. <clears throat> patently refuse if the sleeves aren't cuffed or rolled down it's not a flannel it's sparkling plaid <laughs> yeah that's yeah. fair i like it yeah. and that's that's fashion tips with carter and andy the new show on the poor, poor pros network yeah there you go it's coming watch out yeah it's gonna be uh, a bunch of bad advice oh it's gonna be terrible <laughs> yeah but um yeah. Back to, to serious fun fashion matters. Uh, now we're going to talk about compression bandages. Uh, there are essentially really just two components to the compression bandage. Um, compression, which is your ace wrap, right? That's essentially what this is, is a really fun, fancy, olive drab, you know, stretch wrap. And wrapped inside that, wrapped in plastic, is, uh, is your gauze pad. So... Your compression bandage is going to be for that wound that, you know, really you know, might not need a tourniquet, you know, but it's pretty gnarly and it's bleeding and you need to get that bleeding under control. So keeping in mind the doctrine of direct pressure, you're going to open up your, your bandage, which uh, real quick about bandage packaging, it obviously comes in like a... Um, you know, a plastic wrap, you know, sealed. 
I forget who it was. It was either Kalishnikoffing or Yellow Peril Tactical or someone else. I, if, if you know who it is, shout them out. They put, uh, like you put on floors, like um, the the wrap so it's non-slip, like non-slip wrap, the little like tar paper. They put it on the ends where you're supposed to tear off. So even if you have um, gunk and blood and stuff on your hands, you can still tear them open. And I'm about to do that with my kit uh, this week when I have time. So that's a great tip from those folks. Um, shout out to um, Yellow Apparel and uh, Army Friends uh, and all those folks. Yeah, Not sponsored. All of that stuff gets shared by all of them. So I'm not sure which one it was. <laughs> yeah, like they all they all have their own little like their own social media network within social media, um, which is awesome. But gauze, right back to this. <laughs> Sorry, uh, the ADHD is real today. Um, so you have your, your arm or your leg or your neck, your head, your abdomen, and your, your back. Pretty much everything except your chest, right? So this is wide array of applications. Um, I'm probably going to bother Sarah and have her come back up here for this. But I'll use my arm for now. So you have your wound. Let's say it's right here, you know. Um, got cut by a piece of glass or you know whatever there was a rusty t-post that decided to exact its revenge i have a bad cut on my arm now so i'm going to take this i'm going to open it up and this is sterile so we don't want to add any more germs uh to the wound right we want to try and keep it as clean as possible so keep this out of the dirt this is going to go on top of the wound so it's on top of the wound and there's a little band here, or a little loop, kind of like your tourniquet. See there? This is going to have the other end looped through it. And some of them come with it, some of it don't, so I'm not talking too much about it. Some of them have this little alligator clip on the uh, on the other end, a little plastic stick. Uh, not all of them have it, so I don't harp too much on that. I'm just going to take your other end, once this is on, and thread it through here. So a little movie magic for a second. So that's threaded through. I have my direct pressure going. I'm closing this down. And so I have this on. We're looped through. And I'm really cranking this down to get that on there as tight as possible. So that's on there now. And now I'm going to take the rest of my ace wrap. And essentially about three fingers on either side of the wound, I'm going to bandage. And I'm still, I'm going to go in the middle as well. So I'm here. I'm in the middle. And I'm on the other side. And this is a lot harder to do on your own than it is a uh, tourniquet. So that's why it helps to have everybody in your, your friend group trained in this stuff. And then middle again, and so on and so forth. I'm just going to do a quick wrap until that's all super tight. Um, there's no bleeding, right? No blood's coming through, you know, soaking this. If it is, tourniquet. Get that nice and tight, wrap it around. Now, it's either going to have one of these clips. So then you just clip that in on both ends on wrap that's already laid down like so 
or uh, sort of just tie it in through one of your previous wraps. So you're essentially just going to tie a knot in that uh, so it stays in place. Now, I know I showed you on my arm, but we'll see if Sarah can come back. I'll show you how to put her on someone's abdomen here in a second. Uh, but yeah, cover the wound, on tight. Again, I keep preaching it. Direct pressure on there. You're going to keep as much pressure on there as possible until you go to tighten it down. Um, what that pressure is doing is it's essentially forcing uh, blood from oozing out. Uh, blood's going to sort of start to be able to more collect there, especially in the little capillaries. It's going to help enhance your um, clotting factor, um, more or less. Um, essentially, it's just going to keep your blood from spilling out, and it's going to help your blood stay in there. Uh, for all this stuff, should you cut off clothes, my effect is bare bones. That's a good point that I didn't really cover. I'd say if you have trauma shears or if you can get them, you can buy two packs for 10 bucks on Amazon or other websites um, and keep a pair in there. Um, just because you can use them for a million different things, not just cutting through clothes. Obviously, that's what I use my trauma shears for. Um, but I also use it to cut tape and bandages and all sorts of other stuff. Um, and you, you know, so long as it stays clean and in your kit, you can use it for other applications. Uh, in terms of cutting through clothes, it sort of depends on how dynamic a situation is. If I have a bleed here and I had my sleeve rolled down and I'm not, you know, spurting out completely soaked, yeah, I'll absolutely... Uh, cut through that. I'm rolling it up now just because this is my favorite shirt, but uh, if it wasn't, I would cut through. And uh, yeah, trauma shears, two, two to ten bucks. You don't need anything fancy, just real bare bones. It cuts through uh, at an angle with a blunt tip, and you're you're set to go. Um, yeah, cut through. But if it's like, let's say, a more dynamic situation, a gunshot wound, um, uh, tear it open tear open the shirt the pant leg the the sleeve tear it open expose the wound the best you can um because you need to know where they're bleeding from to be able to control their bleeding uh so yeah expose it you know find it there it is pressure then tourniquet gauze whichever uh someone has to use compression gauze after a tourniquet it depends if you want to expend those resources. So if you're in a resource-rich environment, like let's say you're um, like at the Boston Marathon, for example, or wherever, and there's going to be a bunch of whoever there, you know, medical personnel that have a bunch of equipment, and you put a tourniquet on that bleeding stop, and then they want to put on a compression bandage on that, or you have like three on hand, and you can you know cinch that down, put it on. Sure. Technically, the bleeding's already stopped, and that's our main concern. Um, the wound was already infected when it was penetrated by foreign objects, you know, debris, shrapnel, bullets, things of that sort. And so you're not really preventing anything there. Um, my train of thought is we're in a resource-scarce environment, and if the tourniquet has done the job of stopping the bleeding to the extremity, and we're not having any more bleeding coming out of the you know area... Um, I'd say leave it off for the time being, and if you need to reassess and it turns out you need one there, then, um, then put one on. But I personally, and again, all 
opinions are my own when I say you know, things like this, I wouldn't put one on. Because um, if the tourniquet did its job right, then you don't need to use one of these to stop any of the bleeding there. Um, so no pressure bandage compression and the tourniquet and that. Or, yeah, essentially you go from not having anything to exposing and you have direct pressure and then you have your, your pressure bandage if you're using your, your pressure bandage uh, or your tourniquet if you're using your tourniquet. Um, yeah. Does that make sense, chat, Andy, what I just said there? Makes sense to me. Okay. Again, if anybody has any questions, please um, please feel free to share. Um, I'm obviously not the, uh, the end-all, be-all expert on any of this. Um, there's a lot of great folks, a lot of great resources out there, um, especially on Instagram. Um, St. Fisher Church of Evidence-Based Medicine, uh, the Resuscitationist, um, North American Rescue, all those folks post fantastic evidence-based um, articles and, and tidbits on trauma care. Um, we're just going over real basic, um, you have an IFAC and you're using it type stuff. Yeah, I think the bare minimum that people should know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so with that, I'll have Sarah come. We'll show how to put it on uh, abdominal wound if that works for you. Sure. And um, while we're waiting for her, I guess I'll ask a couple of questions. Absolutely. So we had talked about like with the tourniquet that you should buy a specific or like certain quality brands. Does that apply here as well? Uh, yes. So um, these bandages, I'd say sort of the same folks you're going to get from your tourniquet from North America. North American Rescue, Rescue Essentials, Guerrilla Tactical, um, they all also sell um, sort of these brand name um, gauzes. I think Combat Gauze is a good one, uh, a pressure gauze, things of that sort. I actually have a Combat Gauze that will show for wound packing here in a little bit. Um, things of that elk. Also, look at reviews, you know. If um, something has been bought and there's like, 50 uh, GWAT veterans and firefighters and medics and doctors that say, oh, this product's fantastic. I'd, I'd say, you know, go with that one um, and, and things of that sort. Uh, but if, you know, someone has two reviews on Amazon from, you know, just folks who are like, oh, yeah, I, uh, I got scratched by my cat and I put this on and boy, did it stop that bleeding. Um, uh, you might want to stray away from that one. Yeah. Um, on Live Like the World is Dying, the talk about getting the article. So with that, with using Yarrow, I'm reading a really interesting book right now um, called Green Beret, uh, Green Beret Medic or Field Medic. Green Beret's Guide to Field Medicine that involves herbal remedies, poultices, and whatnot for extended um, care in sort of austere environments. And austere environments are places where you're not going to have access to resources and things of that sort. And I'd say, unless you have training in that, unless you're very experienced in that, don't like, don't do it. Don't get involved in that because if you don't do it right, then you're adding even more contaminants to a wound that's already infected. And it could just make a bad situation that much worse. Um, if your compression gauze is dirty, would you put something in between? Already? 
like I said, keep it sanitary. You're already dealing with a wound that's going to have some infection. Now, if you are trying to put this on and you fumble and it drops and it's on concrete and it lands face up like this, yeah, go ahead and use it. It was a five second rule. But if you have like dirt or, you know, sewage, whatever on this thing, please don't put that on a wound because, um, sepsis is you know sort of a systemic infection and that'll kill you just as dead as uh <clears throat> as as massive hemorrhage so like lane was saying you know it needs to be clean <laughs> and yeah once you get to a hospital once you get to someplace the wound is going to be cleaned and they're going to put them on a metric uh heck ton of, of antibiotics so um sarah's back if we can show this application with abdominal wounds. Yep, I'll get out of the way. <laughs> Try and turn the light on. Oh, my lamp isn't plugged in, that'd be helpful. Oh, we have our mascots here, hold on. Uh, Real quick, I know we're talking uh, very important stuff, but look at how cute this dog is. <laughs> right? Hi, puppy. Right? Hi. Not getting any attention. I see how it is. <laughs> yeah, she um, she's picky. She has a twin sister, so she has a chip on her shoulder. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh. My lovely wife is back. Um, so abdominal wounds, we'll just stop. Um, yeah. Do you want my card again? Oh, uh, yeah, we'll take Okay. Yeah, just so I believe the tank up on. So with abdominal wounds, you have a couple different types. Obviously, your, your penetrating trauma. We're, all, we're only talking about sort of the, the sort of penetrating trauma. You know, your shrapnel, your debris, your laceration, you know, cuts, um, gunshot wounds, things of that ilk. Blunt trauma is its own ball field, and really the only solution for that is, is surgery, um, especially with that surgery. Here we can only stop the bleeding. Uh, blunt trauma, we can't really do anything. Um, we're talking abdominal wounds. So obviously, we've all seen in movies. I know I keep referencing movies. Um, I was a film major before I got into everything that I ended up getting into. But you see in movies, right? The the guy holding a pot to keep his guts in, or you know they're laid out and they have you know, spaghetti noodles all over their, their stomach because it was a cheap B-horror film, and those are the best films. We're not going to do anything with those. Um, please don't try and push them back in because uh, that can just make a bad situation worse, uh, get them tangled and all that stuff. Now, obviously, if you're really trained in it, you have an experience in it, the tactical casualty combat care guidelines, um, which I treat like holy script, says a little bit differently. But for us, just being regular folks out there with an IFAC and, and you know, extra kit for someone trying to make a difference in the world, uh, don't shove guts back into someone. Uh, what you can do Sorry. is, um, let's say there's an abdominal wound here on the person. Um, if guts are out, put uh, clean, moist gauze. Never mind. That's for if I have access to like saline and whatnot. For you, I don't know if you're carrying saline in your IFAC. You probably shouldn't. Um, 
just put a clean dry dress in. Clean gauze, sterile gauze from your kit here on the wound, and then your combat gauze, or your, your combat bandage, I should say. So that's for abdominal eviscerations when guts are spilling out. Uh, really don't do much more than that. Um, but let's say bleeding, you know, gunshot wound, let's say bullet went in here and came out here. What we're going to do is we're going to put one bandage on here. So we have our bandage on, we're applying pressure, we're wrapping our bandage around, we're becoming really comfortable with the person we're taking care of for a second. <laughs> we're keeping that on, stretching our bandage around until we get to here, feeding it through here, the loop we talked about earlier. Pulling that super tight, and you want this to try and stay wide so that you get better compression. Pull that super tight so it's tight as possible on the wound. And then we're just going to wrap super tight around there. So we're obviously pulling this way and the bandage is going that way. So to keep our tension, we want to wrap back around this way on our patient. And again, trying to keep the bandage wide so we have better compression and better wound sealing because we don't want dirt and stuff to get in there. Wrapping around here, back round, wrapping around down here until we run out of gauze, or sorry, run out of bandaging. So turn this side. And then we're going to clip it in place. So thank you. Mm -hmm. So that's sealed up there, but we had a wound over here. So what are we going to do with that wound? So if we can, before we start wrapping, if we have another bandage or a big honking piece of gauze, um, do I have any? Another bandage. So let's say we have another bandage. Um, without, we could double wrap it, obviously, but if you just have one of these, just a big gauze, we call them abdominal pads, which I highly recommend using. I'll actually break down my IFAC for you uh, if you'd like in a second. Gauze there, and as you're wrapping, just wrap over top the existing gauze. I know I didn't show that, but that's a fun tip to make sure both wounds are, uh, are cared for. And if, let's say, blood's still coming out of here, what we're going to do is we're going to get another bandage, another compression bandage, um, right over top. We're not taking anything off, because if you take that off and there were clots forming, scabs forming there, right? and we rip that off, we've just opened up the wound like when we first got there. So always add, never subtract. Sorry. Honey. No, you're good. So slap that on and just wrap around again super tight. Um, as many times as necessary to get the bleeding to stop. Oh, let me get this off here. Okay. So that's abdominal placement. Um, show you neck placement too. Um, I know I'm going fast. Uh, I spent a lot of time on tourniquets just because that's sort of like the most critical, you know, tool of critical bleed, but these are also very important. Uh, so if you have any questions, please leave them in the chat or Andy, if you have anything you want to add or, or any questions, please. You know. Doing great. Um, I do have a question though. Uh, it's kind of peripheral, but you've been using these, um, now with these compression bandages, can you uh, like reuse the ones that you're 
using right now, for example, or is it similar to like tourniquets where it's like once they've been stretched out, you don't want to be using them in a real life situation? Uh, so I wouldn't use these in a real life situation, not so much because they've been stretched out, but just because these have been sitting in a cardboard box that I use when I take to trainings um, and have been getting all sorts of microbacteria and organisms on them. And so I wouldn't trust that this wouldn't, you know, severely infect someone that, uh, you know, is, is exposed to it. Now, obviously, if we're in the middle of, like, Montana and we're doing this training and, you know, something happens and we need these bandages and we only have a couple that are sterile and we have all these, then, yeah, if it's truly, truly, truly a matter of life or death, I would use this. Um, but other than that, please always use sterile equipment. You really don't want to get someone infected with, um, uh, you know, any germs or anything. That's because like I said sepsis, that systemic infection, uh, that'll kill you just as dead. And it's really not a fun way to go. Yeah. Well, I mean, more, I mean, obviously like if they're used repeatedly, um, but like, I'm thinking about like if somebody bought one for the first time and they want to just like do a, let me try it like go through the process of it just to have done it once on themselves or whatever it might be um would that still be safe to then put in their kit or should there just be like tourniquets like you have the one that you've practiced with and the one that you actually keep with you okay um i'm sorry i over explain a lot but um no 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 it's good yeah in that case even still i'd really say just have one you practice with because um if it's exposed to the air, obviously, then you have wear and tear, like like your tongue's tourniquets. Um, but if it's sealed in its pack, it's pretty much safe there and pretty much not good indefinitely, but good for a really long time. Um, and I just, I, I just sort of bite the bullet, um, no pun intended, and just buy two. Have one you can practice with, because then you can practice with it always. You can always use it. I've had this one for um, like two years now, and I, I still use it. Um, and then, you know, have one designated for your kit. Um, that, that's what I would recommend personally. And ballpark, what does a uh, compression, ba compression, uh, bandage like this cost? Uh, you're looking, I want to say between 20 and 30, you know, 20 or 30 or so. Okay. Yeah. So you see, like, IFACs, I think, like, Gorilla Tactical sells a uh, IFAC um, kit that has a tourniquet, gauze, all that good stuff. I think for, like, 80 90 bucks, And that's a really good way to just have all of your kit together. And it's priced pretty fairly, um, I think. Um, but you can also buy your different kits, different piecemeals. Um, like, Rescue Essentials has all this stuff. I can look up pricing real quick if you'd like. Yeah, I was just kind of giving folks some ballpark figure if they've never really thought about this stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, would you use a compression like this on a head wound? Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, if someone has like a superficial wound, uh, you know, like a big cut, you know, on their, their head or whatnot, um, and so long as they don't have a bunch of gray matter pouring out, uh, I would definitely say, yeah, use one of these and uh, I can I can show you on on someone i'm absolutely sleeping on the couch tonight <clears throat> so uh sure 
So sort of same concept as before, keeping this sterile. So we're going to find out where our wound is. Let's say it's right here. I'm going to place my bandage there. And we're going to do the same thing we've been doing, so I'm not going to go all the way through it, but we have direct pressure. I'm going to cinch this down. And so long as I know that the skull isn't um, fractured, you know, I don't feel anything loose there. It's not, you know, I don't have globs of gray matter in my hand. You know, that's there. We'll, we'll get this tightened down pretty tight, um, enough to stop the bleeding. Um, but, you know, obviously we're not trying to treat this as a tourniquet. Um, so you can do that there. With, I'm going to... You want to take off the same oh, yeah. um, with neck wounds, because um, not every neck wound is uh, instant fatality or whatever they say in Mortal Kombat. Uh, let's say if you have a wound here, what you can do is you have your bandage that you put on. And actually I'll use the, this more, this one's a little bit larger, more, I think this one's actually more of your like abdominal wrap. Not that they're marketed that way, it's just a larger pad. So I'm going to use one with a slightly smaller one because uh, we don't want to constrict the airway. So go here. So we have our compression on, right? And we know that their spine is still intact, right? We don't feel it jostling around like like um, loose change or like bone on bone. So we're not going to do this because that'll kill them. We're going to go under their arm and back around up here. And, you know, obviously pull it tight, keep everything nice and nice, and just wrap under there so that we still have compression, right? We still have, you know, the forces that be, that direct pressure going down on the room. But we're not cutting off airway. We're not putting a bunch of stuff around the neck where it could, um, you know, suffocate them or cut off blood flow to the other side, the unaffected side. Any questions or is that... Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. Great demonstration. Cool. And that's um, that's the short and long of uh, compression bandages. Does anyone have any questions or general questions about like first aid, wound care, things of that sort before we get into the next one? Andy, if we have time for another one. Yeah, we are here as long as you want. All right. Buckle in for eight hours. Let's do it. <laughs> You've been what for eight hours? I said, let's buckle in for eight hours. Buckle in for eight All right. So, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, with enough caffeine and, you know, well, yeah, enough caffeine, all things are possible. Um, no, we're not going to talk for eight hours. I don't want to, you know, scare off your audience. I'm going to drink a little bit of tea, though. Um, all right, so questions, anyone? Uh, anything we've gone over? Anything that you want to go over? How about crazy glue for large blunt head injury before the compression wrap? If it's a blunt injury, I reckon that you're not going to have um, sort of your external bleeding. Um, and if you don't have that bleeding, I really wouldn't use compression bandage on a, on a head wound. And I really wouldn't use uh, uh, whatever. Uh, I wouldn't use this or, or crazy glue, uh, even if it was an open fracture on a head. I, I'm I'm not putting any any glue near their their skull because I have a medical director, a doctor in a hospital, that's uh, uh, either going to fire me, uh, take away my my certif certifications, 
or uh, or come at me with a scalpel. <laughs> so, yeah, um, we're really going over just the most basics. Here's how you use these these wraps, tourniquets, and things of that oak right now. Um, so, yeah, where are you from? Ah, I'll say I'm from Ohio. I don't get into too many specifics, but I'm I'm from Ohio, and uh, I've been in EMS for a couple years now. Um, more experience prior to that was with media safety and um, sort of stop the bleed trainings. Uh, and I've been a medic for a, a few months now. So like I said, I'm not the end all be all by any means. Um, I mean, I know what I know and I'm willing to share anything I know, but I definitely don't want to try and come across as like um, a leading expert in anything. You know, we're going over, you know, very basic things here. So, yeah. 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 Um... I, th I think that's pretty thorough. Um, so what are the other alternatives, uh, things that we can use that, again, kind of like with a tourniquet, are there things that we can use if we don't have access to like a compression compression bandage? Yeah, absolutely. So I sort of alluded to this earlier. Uh, compression bandage is essentially just a big gauze pad uh, with an ace wrap bandage around it. So let's say you're in a situation and you don't have one of these um, or you have your sort of what I would call your boo-boo kit, um, which is your your general bandages, gauze pads, your your um, you know your your wraps for like your your like twist your ankle things of that sort. You can absolutely improvise a uh, compression bandage, and the reason why I say that is because if you're using a compression bandage, then they're not bleeding so profusely and so badly that in minutes they're gonna die. That's really really when we're gonna use this. So if you have, like I said, that T-post that wanted to exact revenge, um, and cut across, cut across here pretty good, and it's bleeding, you know, it's bleeding pretty steady, but um, a big piece of gauze, um, like, uh, I get my big piece of gauze, and I put my ace bandage around that, that's essentially doing the same thing. Um, it's just better to have these, in my opinion, for general use sorry not general use for these situations because everything's already there um they're tried and true they have things like these like this one has this thing that you actually feed into and is gonna sort of put that over top of the wound and really enhance the pressure that you're able to get with it and uh i think somebody mentioned in the chat earlier that sometimes these bandages are similar to these bandages, which are um, covered in a hemostatic agent, which is going to uh, uh, enhance clotting, uh, blood clotting at the wound site, and um, help ensure that the bleeding stops uh, a lot more effectively, uh, as opposed to just gauze and an ace wrap. But you can use that if you really, really need to. Uh, Tim mentioned I'm pushing the back in. Uh, so yeah, I mentioned not pushing entrails back in. So essentially what you want to do is um, as respectfully as possible, if someone got, someone's guts are hanging out, obviously hopefully they're laying down, they're not just standing up with them hanging out. Lay them down um, and get them in you know, that safe area. And you're essentially just going to make sure they're sitting on top of... Let me stand up. So let's say get a big old wound across here they spill out they're sitting on top of here they're sort of all collected um and i put my big gauze pad across that right and i'm putting my combat you know bandage 
around that as well to keep everything sealed up and in place and keep it nice and nice. Um, the reason why you don't want to push them in is because you don't want to, you know, perforate or tear anything. You don't want to tangle anything um, more so than it may already be. Because uh, if someone's guts are hanging out, they're already in a pretty bad way, and that trauma team's going to have a, a heck of a day with them already. And we don't want to compound that injury anymore, and we don't want to make the situation any worse for that patient now or down the road. Because um, your guts are full of bacteria, and if that spills out into what we call like your your uh, pericardia, your, your abdominal cavity, uh, sepsis, which is not fun. Um, and all of that. So that, that's sort of what you would do with, um, yeah, with, with. Makes sense. Cool. Um, basically a sports bra for the gut. Um, yeah, actually, you don't even need to go to, like, Rescue Essentials. If you just go to Third Love and use um, discount code Andy and Carter for 15% off, uh, you can just get a sports bra and just put that on them. Absolutely. This 100% works. Yep. <laughs> but <laughs> buy now on your phones. Yeah. Uh, um, and that's that's compression bandages. Any any other uh, questions? Also, uh, for those that are in the chat, Lane has some, some really good points that they're bringing up too. Um, yeah, that's compression bandages. Any questions about those? You're doing great, covering it cool. very thoroughly. All right. How do you notice internal bleeding? Uh, a few different ways. Uh, internal bleeding, uh, someone is going to present what we say really shocky, really pale, really sweaty. They're going to kind of be out of it, you know, sort of maybe not know where they are, know who they are, um, what's going on around them. Uh, so disoriented. Um, where the bleeding's coming from, you know, we always say with like the gut. Um, eventually you're going to see some really, really bad bruising, some really dark, gnarly bruising around the area. And that's a pretty late sign um, for just general noticing internal internal bleeding. Um, for our sake that we're discussing here, if you have someone that you think might have internal bleeding and you need to let medical personnel know, um, you know, those are some of the signs to look for. Also, uh, unfortunately, you know, bombs are a thing, shelling's a thing. If someone suffers like a blast injury and there's like the massive force against them or they have stuff thrown at them and that's sort of those, those blunt injuries um, that can rupture organs um, and some organs carry a, <clears throat> a lot of blood like your spleen, that's, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's going to be bad. And you can let someone know like, hey, this person was here when this happened and now they're acting like this. That can let medical personnel know that um, there's something pretty, pretty funkadelic going on. <laughs> Um, eye injury. If something's in someone's eye, leave it there. Don't try and pull anything out. For, actually, just generally speaking, never, ever, ever, ever pull anything out of anyone if it's there. The only two times you would do that are uh, if, like, let's say there's a big old, like, piece of something that went through someone's cheek and out the other side, and they're having trouble breathing because of it then medical personnel will take that out. 
or if it's in the way of performing CPR. So if somebody has a knife through their back or through their chest, I need to do compressions, I'll take it out. Um, but beyond that, and especially for everyone in chat, if you're not a medical, uh, medically trained personnel, please don't pull anything out of anyone. Leave it in place. Um, leave it stable if you can. I'll talk without eye injuries. But please, for the love of God, don't pull anything out of anyone. I can't believe The Walking Dead lied to me. Now, what else is TV lying to me about? <laughs> Next thing you're going to tell me is that sheriff show that was on CBS didn't accurately portray the LASD. No. Come on. You can't do this to me. Just Anyway, so eye injuries. Uh, like bad TV is an eye injury. <laughs> yeah. Um, Y'all didn't come here for stand-up, but stand-up you're getting. Uh, so if somebody Bad has an injury, there, oh, all the dad jokes. Um, if somebody you have has two an puppies, eye... and now you're just nonstop. <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm a dog father, you know, honestly, and I'm I'm here for my my dog children. Um, yeah, actually, hopefully, in the next couple months, taking a canine uh, casualty care, like first aid and all this stuff for dogs. So that'd be cool to talk about eventually, but. Uh, sure people would want to hear about it yeah um but with eye injuries uh if something's in there leave it what you can do is really leave it really try and get them to a medically trained person um because some of the most critical injuries we say are injuries to life and limb and that's considered like a life and limb injury um i popped out situation jesus christ Leave it. <laughs> don't You're mess with it. Put through the ringer. Just, just, just don't touch it. Um, it don't mess with it. Just say, "Hey, I'm sorry, your eye popped out," and and get them to a a, a paramedic, <laughs> or um, if there's no paramedics, get them to at least one medic. Um, no, but uh, eye popped out situation. Oh God, I don't. Uh, leave it. Uh, stable, I guess. Try not to jostle them around too much. Don't don't try and put it back in. For the love of God, don't put it back in. Um, and just try and make sure it doesn't snap off. Don't make them go jogging or play ping pong with it. Um, yeah, someone in the organ outside, just leave it. I'm not. I heard shrapnel bullets are often left in a patient after surgery. You can let it not cause trouble. Much shame. Tim, that is um that is above my pay grade. I don't have a good answer for that, and I don't want to give you any wrong information. Um, it's definitely something to look into for sure. Um, but I don't want to give you any bad information. Yeah. 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 We'll have a doctor on next. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, get um get Andrew Fisher, trauma doctor. I learned a lot of the stuff I know from from his posts and his his articles. Um, but if we're good on compression bandages and and eyes popping out, um, and I'm not trying to make fun of you, that's good questions. I just wasn't expecting that. Um, we can talk about a little bit of packing a wound if that's all right with y'all. I would love to. All right, and I'm still good on time before I go into work, so I'm gonna grab one of my um, one of my dummies, and I'll show you how to uh, how to pack a wound. 
And while he's up, a reminder, folks, if you want to throw Carter a couple bucks for taking the time to do this with us, hit us up on Venmo at Poor Pearl's Almanac, and I will get it over to him. And uh, super appreciated, folks, doing that. Um, also, I know there's some really good orgs. I think North American Rescue is currently taking donations for folks that want to help make IFAX for folks uh, in Ukraine, dealing with stuff over there. So if you look into that, those orgs are out there that are doing that work as well. Um, not to not to distract or take away from what, what Andy's doing, which I really appreciate it, um, but there's those things as well. Yeah, just give money to both. Give us, just give yeah. us all your money. Unlimited money. Just keep passing it out. This is the Rich Bourgeois Chronicle, I think is the name of the, the show, right? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Can't you tell by our fancy lighting and our colorful walls? Yeah. Um, so this is a dummy I made out of memory foam, and it looks terrible. But the Stop the Bleed dummy, uh, which does the same thing, costs like $900. So, so we're we not memory. as bourgeois as you say. Exactly. Um, you know, you and chat calling us petite bourgeois. <laughs> uh, let me uh, anyway. give an answer to that cash app. Hold on. You can okay. keep going. Um, so wound packing. Uh, if you have an injury that's essentially in the pocket of the groin... Um, where you can't get a tourniquet because essentially a tourniquet only goes so far up on a leg. Sounds. And the dogs are stealing my gauze. <laughs> if you um, go high enough up, you can't get a uh, tourniquet on there. And you can still bleed out, you can still die. Actually, one of the reasons, one of the people that got me into this is Tim Hetherington, famous journalist, uh, British journalist, was killed in Libya in 2011 when a mortar struck him and another journalist I really admired, Chris Hondros. Um, Tim bled out from his injury. Uh, it was so high up on his leg that a tourniquet couldn't have saved his life, and they didn't uh, have the resources or knowledge or skills to pack the wound, and he ended up bleeding out shortly after. Um, so, you know, everything we're talking about, the reason why we know this stuff is because someone has, you know, died as a result of injuries. And there have been numerous medical folks uh, who have tried to figure out a way to keep that from happening. Um, so, packing a wound. That was sort of my inspiration for getting into this and wound packing. Um, let's say someone has a shrapnel wound uh, or their um, combine went out for vengeance and they have a puncture wound somewhere, like in the buttocks, back of the leg, or... Uh, you know, in that sort of, you know, you have your V of your, your groin up in this area, uh, packing a wound. So there's a specific type of gauze you want to use. Um, Stop the Bleed has these t-shirts that say this t-shirt can save a life. And you can pack that wound into a t-shirt and it's going to save their life. And I don't like that just because putting a t-shirt in someone sounds not um, good. And the puppies are going to be sanitary. No. Yeah, not quite quite sanitary. Um, puppies, do you want to say goodbye to oh, yeah. chat? Do you want to say goodbye to puppies? So goodbye, puppies. Um, 
sorry, puppies distracted me. We're talking about wound packing t-shirts. Don't put a t-shirt in someone. Obviously, if it's all you have to pack a wound, um, then that's all you have. But you really shouldn't because we're all cool, hip folks here who are going to have awesome IFACs after this training. Um, with combat gauze, that's what this is called. Um, combat gauze quick clot is the brand name and this is another instance because this has actual stuff on it Celex is that what it's called um, shellfish extract um, that enhances your clotting factor and is going to cause the wound to clot um, and stop the bleeding much more effectively especially with deep wounds like deep in your leg that you need to you know pack in um, has that on it so definitely brand name with that same you know sort of in line with tourniquets um, but how do you use it? Great question, Andy. Uh, I can read my mind. I'm I'm with you, bud. And I'm I'm here for you. So let's say we have a wound like this. Turn the lighting down so it's not so bright. With my um, Twin Peaks log lady dummy here, a wound like this. You know, you have your entry. It's pretty deep down in there. Um, can't get a tourniquet on because the where it's at on the body. Can you use quick clot on someone with shellfish allergy? I'm not sure. I've wondered about that, and I should have Googled it before I got here. I think the extract that they take out is the part that, like, it's from the shell. It's not the shellfish itself. It's from, like, the shell. Um, so I don't think it would. Maybe. If you have a shellfish allergy, Google it. <laughs> Sorry. I, I should know that. I apologize. Um I feel like Not if all it were, that would be part of, like, the questioning when you see somebody with a wound. Yeah. Like, I've never been told that it causes an allergic reaction by anyone who's trained me in any of the readings I've ever done. I haven't seen anything that says that. That doesn't mean that it doesn't. That just means that in all of the stuff I've done, I haven't seen that be an issue that people have come across. Um, but wound packing. So we have our wound here. And essentially, what you want to do is you put get your gauze in your gloved hand and i know that this is all strung out that's because this has been used forever you want to keep it as sterile as possible it's going to come looking like a deck of cards about that big so you're going to grab the end of your deck of cards essentially you're going to keep the rest of that stable and sterile you know either sort of on top of the packaging like lay your packaging out on top of the patient or have it in your hand and you know as we're feeding through you just let more out um, but keep it as clean as possible because while these bandages are going on top they're going inside the patient so you really want this to be clean as, you know as, as possible so we have our wound we've identified this wound we need to pack it full of gauze so we're putting pressure around here right so we have our wound and have this in our hand like this we have our thumb and our index index finger. So we're going to push with our thumb as deep as possible, get more gauze with our index finger, push back down in, and keep doing this uh, till you run out of gauze. And then what you're doing when you run out of gauze is you grab even more gauze. So you're going to um, pack this full. As, as full as possible. I know I'm sort of doing like a rough job here, but you really want to pack that in. 
and really push down in that wound because you need that gauze with that additive uh, or even if it doesn't have an additive just need that gauze to get down in there to try and you know put pressure on and stop that bleeding essentially have this big hole in someone they need to fill with gauze to try and keep it from you know from keep them from bleeding out you know especially if something major is hit like your, your femoral you really need to pack that in quick fast and, and uh quick and fast <laughs> um quick and and tight um so for the sake of demonstration let's say that this is fully packed in so we have it packed to here um I believe, and it probably shows here. Let me see. Do you press? Yeah, it says that you need to hold pressure on there for three minutes. So keeping three minutes of pressure on that wound, um, yeah. pressing down on that, keeping it packed in for about three minutes to really make sure that everything gets soaked in and everything stops bleeding. And then what you can do to ensure that everything stays in place. Nothing gets pulled out, and Jimmy jumped. Yeah, you got it. You know we're gonna put a combat gauze or sorry, a combat bandage over top. So we have our wrap that we kept sanitary. Got our gauze pad. It's gonna go over top. Now we're gonna wrap around, tighten down, and all of that good stuff. Um, now let's say you have more of a superficial laceration that's bleeding pretty bad um what you can do is i'm going to make a makeshift deck of cards here um pretend this looks uniform clean and never used and i have a big laceration oh look a big laceration so let's say it's this big what i can do is i have my deck of cards here in slash on the wound right placed proper pressure right holding that tight three minutes Oop. gauze right um and that is the long story short on uh wound packing does anyone have any questions about that Okay. I'm good. Uh, cool. Um, man, short and long of wound packing. Really good videos out there. Um, the resuscitationists, like I said on Instagram, post a lot of really good um, trauma stuff. Uh, no packing abdominal or chest wounds, right? Yeah, don't don't pack abdominal wounds and, and don't pack uh, chest wounds. Chest wounds need a thing called a chest seal, um, which, I mean, Andy, if you wanted to, we could get into those. I have a couple of um, training ones if, if you'd want to see them. I mean, I will not say no, um, but it's, I know you said you've got work, so I don't want to tie you up too long. I mean, I, I still have time if, if folks want to. Yeah, you want to do it quick? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so chest wounds, chest seals, all that good stuff. Uh, chest seal is what I'm going to grab. So some are vented, some are not vented. Um, this is our training one, which has been used 
uh, a lot. So, you have a chess synth card on how much you see in the unmoved moves. Huh. That's cool. Uh, chess seal is going to come out looking like this. Um, this type of packaging, if this is the brand you go with. Um, I have a couple of Sam chest seals, Sam brand chest seals in my kit uh, that are pretty pretty good. Thankfully, I've never had to use them. Uh, but they're a pretty solid brand and, uh, you know, pretty solid product. Uh, and not sponsored. But you have this. And you can see there's vents on either side of it there. And it has a really sticky side and uh, smooth side a little hole there you can see sort of in the middle it's not an actual hole it's just where there's no adhesive um, and so the reasons for that the components of your chest seat are there for a reason now those reasons we'll tell you after this ad break uh, for splints <laughs> no um, I just needed to collect my thoughts for a second so with chest seals the reason why we're putting them on the chest is because you have two things in here called lungs they are uh, big, can hold a lot of blood. Um, actually, uh, the space where your lungs sit, your pleural space, uh, can hold all of the blood in your body. Um, and so if you get a wound there that's bleeding out really bad, it can end very bad, very quick. Um, but that's not exactly the way you put a chest seal on. You put a chest seal on for a thing called a pneumothorax. Um, to keep it from devolving into a tension pneumothorax. So what that is, it's when you have penetrating trauma to your chest, and that causes air to get sucked into that space. And as air fills that space in your chest, your pleural space, it's going to put pressure on that lung. And as more air gets in, uh, you know, as you breathe in more air, you know, and puts more air in there, um, it's going to compress that lung. It's going to collapse that lung, and then it's going to put pressure on your heart and on your veins that return to your heart and on your artery, your aorta, and it's going to keep you from being able to get air in, and it's going to put so much compression or tamponade on there that you're not going to be able to pump any blood, your heart's not going to be able to pump, and you're going to die. So uh, medics, medical personnel, uh, could do a thing that to relieve that pressure, but none of us are, and I'm not even going to bring it up. But what we can do to keep it from getting to a tension pneumothorax, excuse me, is a chest seal. So what this does, we have our adhesive area, is that's going to slap on to their chest, and it's going to create a real nice seal uh, so that air can't get into the wound. And if air can't get in a wound from the outside world, then you're going to be pretty well set. But what about the air that's already in there, Carter? Well, chat. I don't know why I'm scorning you, but bear with it. <laughs> uh, well, chat, that's why we have these vents on them. So these vents are going to allow air to escape, but air can't get sucked back in. But so you hear a phrase called a sucking chest wound. How you're going to be able to tell if it's a sucking chest wound is if there's blood burbling outside the wound you see little bubbles um, if someone has penetrating trauma to the chest and they're having a really hard time breathing um, those are two indications that they're uh, have sucking chest wound that they are getting that sort of tension pneumothorax or that pneumothorax 
and need to um, you know get a chest seal pretty ASAP. Um, super good rule of thumb is everyone all together now uh, feel on your rib cage. So you have your ribs, right? Feel up to the point right here. You have your sternum. So to follow that down to that point there, that is your xiphoid process, sort of the end of everything there. Yeah, good point, Lane. It actually, you can't hear it if you're down there, they're listening. It uh, sounds like the ocean. Uh, that's not true. It sounds like it's sucking and you really you know, need to get one of these on. Um, but xiphoid process, everyone felt that, everyone knows that is that line all the way around you. So that sort of midpoint here and then all the way around your side all the way around your back all the way up to your neck any wounds front side back you're gonna put a chest seal on the reason why we're doing that on all of those wounds is because if you have entry or exit wounds there you need to make sure you get them sealed off from the outside world you need the blood and lungs and all that good stuff to stay put Stay expanding and stay flowing. So chest seal on the front, chest seal on the back. Um, if it's in and out. If there's multiple wounds, uh, multiple chest seals. Uh, good rule of thumb is if... God, I hope I don't butcher this quote. If it's larger than a pencil, it needs a chest seal. The reason being, if it's smaller than that, if it's like a little like pinprick, essentially... It won't, um, it won't suck in air, right? The, the vacuum, the seal that's in, in your pleural cavity or pleural space in the outside world, it, it doesn't work. Um, but if it's larger than that, then air can get in and the, the vacuum that's in your, your body, the negative pressure, the positive pressure gets all messed up and you get a tension pneumothorax and you die. But we're going to keep that from happening by using these bad boys. Um, Hyphen Vent is this brand. They come in a twin pack. Um, and as you can see, this is our, our training one. So, yeah. That's that's short and long of chest seals. Um, really super important to get them placed. And if they're not uh, vented... Um, like if they don't have the vents like this one does, like you saw those little fins on there, uh, what you can do is crack one side of it to let air escape. Um, so like, um, anyone who has ever been in EMS, this, you get this test question all the time. Oh, you put on a chest seal. Are you going to seal all four sides or only three sides? And the answer is to seal three sides so that air can still escape. Um, but you have your seal on there. Um, so air can't get back in, if that makes sense to everyone. So yeah, I think it makes just, sense. Just buy one with a vent. You don't have to worry about it. If you don't, three sides down, one little side up. Is there any purpose to buy a non-vented chest seal? Uh, cheaper. So if someone has a bleeding wound that is causing a pneumothorax from a stab wound. Um, Tim, good question. 
I've always found with patients, and again, the amount of uh, uh, I've had too many trauma patients, which is thankfully, but with all the trainings I've done, you always put your patient flat um, unless it's going to affect their airway or unless they're obtunded and they can't protect their own airway, in which case you sort of, you know, or they're sort of passed out, you leave them on their side so they don't choke on their tongue. For our sakes, if someone's passing out, put them on their left side, head on their arm and legs sort of at an angle, call it the left lateral recumbent, um, just to keep them from choking on their, uh, their, their vomit and blood and things of that sort. Uh, if blood's gonna fill up the lung, it's gonna kind of fill up the lung either one side or the other. Um, so yeah. Um, there's, there's that aspect of it. I hope that answered your question. Leave your patient on their side if they're unconscious and can't protect their own airway, which means they can't really breathe on their, their own or they're, they're, they're passed out. If they can't, if they're passed out or they can't really protect their own airway, put them left lateral recumbent on their side like this so that, you know, anything that comes up is going to drool out. Uh, when took slap bleed last summer, paramedics at chest seals require EMT knowledge. I'm checking this for a reason. So with uh, most things that require medical knowledge, uh, it's going to have an RX on it. And I'm not seeing an RX on this. And as I understand it, anyone can really buy a chest seal and anyone could really use it. Now, I highly, highly, highly recommend never using one without proper training, and I wouldn't consider this proper training. This is just an overview of all the fun ways you can stop bleeding. Um, still do an in-person stop the bleed class, class. Still go and get your, your certificate in it. Get your Red Cross first aid, all that stuff. Um, you know, make, make sure you know what you're doing before you would go and, and, and buy something or go and use it. This is just an overview. Um, and, and things of that ilk. Um, but as far as I understand it, anyone can buy a chest seal and anyone can use it. I mean, whether they use it properly or not is a different story. Um, but yeah, I always, whenever I teach folks, I mean, if I, if you're going to be packing a wound and filling a, a hole full of gauze, I think you can put on a, um, piece of sticky tape on a, on a chest wound. That's a, yeah. You can definitely buy them. I know that. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm not liable for any uh, misgivings or any mistreatment given to anyone based off this training. That's my quick, uh, you can't sue me and please don't thing. Um, obviously, <laughs> we're just discussing aspects of Stop the Bleed. This is not a Stop the Bleed class. Um, I'm not a certified instructor. Uh, this is just, you know friendly conversation between chat Andy and, and me. And does that make sense? Yes. And Lowry's. Lowry's? Lowry's Salt. Our sponsor. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so anything else you wanted to cover before we uh, wrap this up? Um, I think that, that just about covers it. That's... um. You know, tourniquets, bandage packaging, quick little thing on chest seals. Again, don't use them unless you're properly trained. Um, tourniquets, bandages, obviously that's a different story. This, 
don't use unless you're properly trained. Um, and this is not hashtag proper training. Um, can the chest be bloody, prevent a six side to stick? Um, I mean, clean it off, you know, if there's a lot of blood, wipe it and then place it. Um, if you use the chest seals out, understandably stun the trauma, cause more damage than helped. Okay, yeah, so, um, if you don't know the extent of injuries that someone's undergoing, using a chest seal could make things worse. Um, that's why when I mentioned there's a cool little trick that medically, like medics, nurse, doctors can use to relieve pressure in the chest cavity. That's as far as I'm getting on that, because uh, that is something that you need to be either licensed or certified in to do. You have to do a whole bunch of training, and we're not getting into any of that. Um, chest seals should only be used if you know for certain that that is what's going to keep this person from dying. You enter their injuries, you know everything that's going on with them, and you know that that chest seal is indicated. So while we went over them, I do not encourage you to use them unless you have a background in medical, uh, emergency medical care and understand everything that's that's going on. Or you uh, with, don't want them to die and you're in the middle of the woods alone and there's no other option. But that might be a good time. Yeah, that too. You know, if, if you are the only person out in the middle of, um, you know, nowhere with you and your buddy and they have an injury that's indicated or that, you know, indicates use of this. That's a different situation. But outside of that, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, yeah. Thanks so much, Carter. This has been really interesting. I know a hell of a lot more than when we started. I'm sure a bunch of other people also do. Uh, I've already seen a couple folks tossing a couple bucks over. So, um People have definitely appreciated what you've uh, the time you've put into uh, helping folks out. So that's really cool. And uh, yeah, if there's anyone has any other last questions, I'll just plug some other stuff. Unless you want to plug something first, uh, attend an in-person Stop the Bleed class. Go to I think StopTheBleed.com. They have you know events that are coming up, things of that ilk. Um, if you're really interested, you know EMT school is a little pricey, but it's well worth it. Um, and just, you know, follow best practices. We don't want anyone to get hurt, you know, but unfortunately people do. And if you have the training and know-how and the equipment to safely and effectively help someone, well, then you should. And I really appreciate everyone who's been interacting and everyone who, who came to this today. Um, I'm honored to be able to uh, offer a little bit of knowledge and hopefully encourage you to pursue more. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, I'll also plug uh, Coursera often has like a seven day free trial. So you can, they have paramedic classes, like, like basically test prep type stuff. Um, and I, I did one with uh, the paramedic one. Uh, I didn't finish it. I got about halfway through within seven days. I tried to like power through an entire terms class as fast as I could while it was free. Uh, so I, I've got a bunch of notes that, don't mean much to me anymore, but um, that is a resource that's out there. If you're thinking about it, you want to see how how intense it is and maybe just get a little bit uh, more uh, evidence-based science to justify some of the stuff that we've topically covered, uh, That that's one way to get some free education as well. So uh, I'm going to kick you off the screen so I can take over and wrap the sucker up. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that. I sure did. Uh, I wanted to follow up and say that Saturday we're going to have a um, IFAC building 
101. So you can figure out how to build your own individual first aid kit, uh, which obviously if you've watched this, you're going to want to know a little bit more of what else should be in there and talk about some of the more um, peripheral materials that you might want to have in a kit. So that might be of interest to you. If you enjoyed this, please, if you are watching on Twitch, you know, you can hop on, subscribe to us with like the Amazon throws us a couple bucks, which is pretty cool. If not, and you want to support us, we have our Patreon and our Venmo. Um, if you are interested in uh, uh, Patreon, it gives you early access to all of our podcast episodes. If you don't know at this point, we are a podcast. Come check it out. We're uh, 80 episodes deep. We have a new one coming out on Sunday on the Dayak Food, uh, food Forest. So if that's of interest to you, um, definitely come check it out because it's up there right now and it'll come out on Sunday night. Uh, yeah, we've got a ton of stuff coming up on Twitch. So I definitely think if you enjoyed this, you should definitely subscribe or um, sorry, follow. I know the, the link terminology is a little different. Um, if you're on YouTube, which I see at least five of you are, uh, please subscribe over there if you don't already. And you'll get notifications when we go live, which is great. If you're on Facebook, hop over to YouTube or Twitch and subscribe there so you can watch, although obviously you can still watch it on Facebook. So that's about it, guys. This has been fantastic. Thanks so much. And uh, I'm sure we will see you all around again.